so happy to be here this morning. This location has special meaning in my life. I'll tell you why. Just a few yards away is the old hall of St. Joseph's European High School. 23 years ago, I was in the same place at a prayer meeting and God healed me of epilepsy and I've never had an attack in the last 23 years. I never ceased to be amazed at what God can do with a person's life. I never ever dreamed as I sat with my parents in that meeting that night that one day I would come to the same place and preach that same word that had brought change and blessing in my life. And for me today especially, it's especially meaningful to be in this place. Israel, wherever they went, they set up memorial stone. God commanded them to do that so that when they were passing by, the generations that followed would ask, why are these memorial stones here? And it would be a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's love towards his people. And for me, St. Joseph's European High School is a memorial stone, a reminder that God healed me of epilepsy. And I've never had it again, ever. Not even a trace of that disease. But praise the Lord. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5, please, and verses 36 to 39. I've known your pastor. Thank you, Ashish and Amy, for this invitation. But most of all, I thank God for the friendship that we share and have. And I know over the years, we've been in touch on and off. But I knew your pastor before he was married. When we used to meet at a cell group in Richmond Town, in Auntie Rachel's house. Ashish used to drop in once in a way. And um, from those days, I know Ashish. I'm just so happy that he's a man of God, a servant of God, and has a great and wonderful testimony. As I was saying earlier this morning, when I went to the APC South, is it? Yes. I was saying that it's so wonderful to see God's servants from different backgrounds, communities, denomination, you know, show the love of Christ and share the love of Christ amongst ourselves. And that kind of love is shared between us because of the friendship that we have with Jesus and the friendship that we have with one another. I'm so happy, Sandy and myself are so happy to be here this morning. Let's go into God's word, Luke chapter 5 and verses 36 to 39. And he spake also a parable to them. He said, no man puts a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new makes a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agrees not with the old. And no man puts new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But the new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man, having drunk old wine, straight away, straight away desires the new, for he says, the old is better. One of the saddest things I find in God's word is the fact that many times Jesus had to ask us to remember him. And for me, that's so sad. After all the Lord has done for us, he says, when you have communion, remember me. He said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when I take you to the promised land and I bless you, remember me. And I think, you know, how can we forget? And yet we do. How can we forget so great a love? And so great a kindness that we've experienced from Jesus. And here was Jesus at a time preaching the gospel, sharing, you know, his message with the people. And the people who proclaimed to know him, the Pharisees, never knew him. And Jesus said to them that you could not put new wine into old bottles. The message he was bringing to them was this, that they needed to change, but they were not willing. They preached about the same Savior. They knew the word, and yet when he came... They did not recognize him. Today I want to share with us about the blessing of change. The blessing of change. One thing is certain, my friends. Change is inevitable. It will come to us 
whether we like it or not. And God's word teaches us that if we are to experience an abundant and blessed life, we must be willing to change. I never cease to be amazed at how sometimes people can pray so much, read the Bible so much, fast many times, and yet wonder why life never changes. And sometimes we can get caught up like that, like the Pharisees did, in religious and spiritual activity, but really not seeing any change in our lives. And Jesus was reminding, telling the Pharisees, that if they wanted to see a change, a difference in their life, there's one thing that they needed to do, and that was change. John F. Kennedy said this, he said, change is the law of life. And he says, those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. It's very difficult for people to change. In fact, if you want to make enemies, try to change something. If you try to change something in a church, people will come and say, you know, excuse me, do you know, from my great-great-grandfather's time, we are members here. and We've always done it that way. Now, you are coming here to change this. Please don't change it. People are uncomfortable with change. As a counselor, I've, I've found that when you talk to couples, talk to people, and ask them what their problem is, they'll tell you what their problem is. They'll tell you. I have this problem. I have that problem. But what they don't have is the solution. And the solution is to change our lives according to God's word. Remember the early years of our marriage, Sandy, uh, you know, before we got married, we made a promise to each other that we wouldn't have a single fight. And we've been married 21 years. And uh, till today, we haven't had a single fight. No, don't clap. Wait. <laughs> Six weeks later, we had World War number three. I wish it could be like that. <laughs> you know, one day, and Sandy's, uh, I thank God for a wonderful wife. Sandy has been my life's greatest blessings apart from the Lord. She's been there with me, loved me, even when I had nothing. And I was very spiritual when, when I got married. The Lord says, love thy neighbor. Sandy was my neighbor. That's how I met her. But when I didn't have anything, I never had money, didn't have anything at all. She still loved me. And I remember that after a couple of weeks of marriage, <clears throat> suddenly Sandy started to behave very strangely. Started to talk to me very roughly. And I said that tone of voice sounds very familiar. I wonder why she's talking to me like this. I was a bit confused. I thought everything was under control <clears throat> until I got married. <laughs> and then I discovered, and I, so I started to pray. And I would ask Sandy, you know, put on my, you know, detective cap and say, you know, who do you have lunch with? Now, what I'm thinking in my mind is, I'm sure she must be sharing the problems that we are having with somebody at the office. And they must be saying to her, don't keep quiet, give him back nicely. So I would try and innocently, seemingly, you know, innocently ask, so who do you have lunch with? And suddenly I zeroed in on one of her colleagues and said, yeah, I'm sure this is the person influencing her to treat me the way she's doing now. And one day in desperation, I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, you have to show me. I didn't know marriage would be like this. What's wrong? Sandy was so kind. She would speak, you know, with a tone of voice. And the Lord said, I'll tell you the problem. You are the problem. I said, pardon, Lord, <laughs> talking to me? And the Lord said, yes, you are the problem. And God said to me, that unless, I, unless I change, my marriage would not. And of course, I don't have to tell you, over a period of 21 years, a lot of change happens if you are to remain in that marriage for 21 years. I hear Christians say so often, you know, this is a tough world to live in. It's difficult. There's no doubt. That's the truth. But I think we also need to change the way we think, change the way we respond and start to say, but I'm a child of God. I'm strong. I'm tough. I can change. I can overcome. Like the confession you made this morning, that we are overcomers. You start to say, no, my, my marriage, my family, my life, my career, 
God will bless it. But many times, if not most of the time, for those blessings to come, we have to be willing to change in our lives first. Moses, God had chosen him and said, Moses, you know, I want you to go and stand before Pharaoh with a one-line message. He didn't say, okay, do you know your Psalms? And Moses said, yes, I know from 1 to 10. Okay, go and memorize from 1 to 100. No, no, nothing big to memorize. He says, I have for you a one-line message for Pharaoh. What was that message? Let my people go. And God tells him, you know, my word, I'll put my word in your mouth and I'll be with you. And what does Moses say? Send somebody else. Unwilling to change. And so even in our marriages, in our families, in our lives, unless we're willing to pay that price, the cost of change, many times, despite all the praying, nothing will happen. Because God has done everything that he needs to do. And he's laid it before us. And he says, you choose this day, life or death. The choice is yours. It saddens my heart that sometimes when I counsel people and I give them, and I always tell people, listen, I can give you a guarantee that your life will change. Not because, uh, you know, I'm a good counselor, but because what I counsel you is from God's word and I can give you a written guarantee, your life will change if you listen to God's word. But sadly, when that demand is placed upon people's lives, they walk away and never come back. Jesus faced that too. He did so many miracles. But when there was a demand placed upon people's lives for obedience to the word and dying to self, the crowd begin, began to, to wane and dissipate. And Jesus now turns to his disciples and says, Will you also walk away? And they said to him, Lord, to, to whom can we go? You have the words of life. Today, you may be sitting here with a problem in your life, an issue that has plagued you across your lifetime. The answer to that change, that answer to that blessing, lies in your hands today. The moment you decide, I will allow God to change me as a person from that point onwards your life will begin to change. It's very easy. For most often, it's easy for us to blame everyone else and everything around us. But when we start to look in and say, God, search me. Show me where I need to change. The answer comes. But as I said, change is very uncomfortable. It's very difficult. We pray to the Lord, Lord, you know, enlarge my territory. But then we come to the end of our territory and it becomes very intimidating. would rather go back, move back. And stay in that place of comfort. You'll notice that sometimes when people suffer with depression and you give them counsel, many times they're, because of the years of depression, they become very comfortable in that shell of depression and don't want to be pulled out. But when that willingness is there for change, to allow change in our life, the miracles start to happen. There were many people in the Bible who never experienced what God had for them until they were willing to change. Abraham. I'm sure was quite comfortable. His father was a wealthy man. But God said, I want you to leave everything that you have and come to a place that you haven't been to before. Abraham took his nephew along with him because he wanted a part of home. But until he and, you know, uh, Lot were separated, he didn't see the fullness of that promise. Abraham had change in his life. Jacob had many changes in his life. Joseph had many changes. He was a favorite child of his father, a despised sibling. Favorite of Potiphar's house, accused of Potiphar's house. Prisoner of the year, forgotten prisoner. Pharaoh's interpreter of dream, prime minister of Egypt. Moses experienced change from orphan to prince to ruler to wanderer in the desert. David, anointed childhood, astounding adolescent period, hero of Israel, refugee from Israel. Change, dramatic change. But sometimes... 
we justify why we don't like to change we use excuses like you know i have this problem with anger but always my mother used to tell me i'm just like my father so you know <laughs> my father also used to tell me that his father had the same problem pastor so that's why i have anger we justify why we are the way we are joseph was the one person who said i will change and he affected a nation abraham was walking into town one day and he said to his wife listen don't say you're my wife because you're so beautiful these men will kill me and take you so let's say we're brother and sister so they're walking into town and she says okay darling not darling brother let's practice from now he lied isaac did the same thing he lied jacob we know was uh, well versed in lying he had 12 son 11 of them lied one of them said i'll be different i remember once my wife telling me and my kids you know kids are a lot more blunt thank god for children sometimes my daughter would say to me dada why are you so grumpy don't tell anybody that my wife would say to me you come home you talk to everybody else but you don't talk to me and i realized that if i wanted to have a connection with my family with my wife and my children i didn't have to pray for them i needed to change myself first if there was to be harmony and free flowing communication within my family god's word is astounding friends he has the answer to all of life's problems remember growing up we grew up with a lot of poverty in my family a lot of pressures my dad had a drinking problem and uh, many times without food in the mornings go to school drink water to fill up our tummies come back at night maybe have two slices of bread and some coffee no money even to buy milk for the coffee and until jesus came into our lives and i remember my mother saying to me she said son pray with me son that either god takes your father or he takes me because both of us can't live in the same place but when jesus came into our lives and his word came into our hearts and we started to see the astounding liberty and freedom that god has placed in his word for you and for me we chose and said my parent my mother chose to give her life to the lord i gave my life to the lord we we started to see change and then came the time when my father when my mother said she said son if your father dies before me i don't know how i live without him how was such a miracle possible only because of god's word friends you may be in a problem today ask god to show you lord i'm going to forget everybody else where should i change how can i be a better husband how can i be a better wife how can i be a better person what can i do to contribute something of value to this situation based on your word but we know that people change jobs change seasons change and people are uncomfortable with change but god allows change in our life for a reason it's always to take us to the next level So sometimes you may have had a difficult situation in your life. Don't question God's wisdom. Say, Lord, what should I do? How should I change tack and move on? Israel never entered the promised land because they refused to change. Sometimes husbands and wives will fight over the same thing and many times it's over money. And I've had people say to me, you know, you know who should marry uh, who should manage the money? And you'll find that because of preconceived notions that we've had that the husband will say no i'm the head of the house i'm the boss i'm the manager i am everything 
So I must manage the money. And then she says, yes, he manages the money and then we have bills piling up because he doesn't know how to control. And he says, what do you mean don't know how to control? You think you can control? And there's another fight in the counselor's office. And I say to them, listen, are you willing to break those old wineskins and start to think differently? Here's a suggestion. Who manages the money better? At the end of the month, who has more money remaining? They are the better managers. Doesn't matter whether it's the husband or the wife. And I say to the couple, okay, from now, you've managed, you've not managed well. Husband, so give it to the wife. He says, no, I can't do that. And so that problem persists. Israel had come out of Egypt, but they stagnated because they refused to change. Said, no way. I've said to people many times, we've been taught in the past, oh, we are believers. Don't mix with this one. Don't mix with that one. No, you know, no having any truck with, with anyone else apart from believers. Jesus came to teach us that we should not be, you know, of, you know in the world or, or of the world, but where we should go into the world and share his love and his kindness. And I say that God has said to us, go into the world. And instead, we are withdrawing ourselves all in the name of making ourselves more holy and religious. And yet Jesus was accused of the exact opposite where he was accused of being the friend of sinners. So there are some old wineskins that we need to change. The way we've perceived things early on in, in our lives. Israel never made it to the promised land because they, they were unwilling to change. And nothing happens by accident in our lives. God is directing our steps, friends. Every moment of our life, God is directing our steps. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 11. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wing. You know, God brought Israel out of Egypt like that. And he used the description of, of an eagle. Remember, when things start to stir in your life, transition is coming. In the recent past, there's been so much of fear from our people among our people of losing jobs, and some have lost jobs. But today, lift your faith to another level. Say, Lord, if this has been a stirring of the nest in which I've been, I thank you that you have something better ahead for me. Over the past month or so, five people within my circle of friends, within the church, have bought home. And you know what I've said? At a time of recession, and four of these families never ever dreamed of homing, or owning a home. But today, they have homes. When God is stirring things up, He's bringing, He's preparing us for a miracle. He's preparing us for a change. You know, the reason why God used this illustration of the eagles is it's, you know, when, when an eagle has little eaglets to look after, every, it, first of all, it builds its nest in, in a location that, that's inaccessible, on a high cliff. And so these little eaglets in the nest keep looking at the horizon constantly. Because suddenly, mommy or daddy appears with food in their mouth. And they are so happy. But one day, mommy and daddy are acting very strange. And the little ones talking to each other say, Have you noticed mom hasn't spoken to me today? And the other one says, You notice dad hasn't looked me in the eye today? And the parents are unusually quiet. And so the kids are asking, Where's my breakfast? Where's my breakfast? And the father hops into the nest. The mother's flying just outside off the cliff, circling around. And the father eagle nudges one of the little eaglets towards the edge. And the little eaglet says, Dad, what's wrong? And the other one says, Serves you right. You said, where's my breakfast? You've upset him. And the next thing you know, 
the eagle has pushed these eaglets off the cliff and they are plummeting to the earth to certain death. At the last minute, the mother eagle and the father eagle swoop under and carry them up. That's why God says he bore Israel on eagle's wings and yet they never made. And so they fly to a greater height now and the father and mother in tandem turn over and the babies start to fall. But somewhere in that great fall, a thought occurs to them. Wait a minute, I've got wings. And they start to vigorously flap until it reaches a smooth rhythm. And now they are soaring above all their problems. But if the parents had not pushed those little eaglets off that cliff, they would have died of starvation. Never ever lived to be in a place where no other creature ever is on the face of this earth, all alone up there in that blue sky, able to see the smallest thing down on earth. But it was change that caused those little eaglets to fly. And so when one season is over in our lives, we need to look forward to the next season. Sometimes we, we hope for those early days. And you hear people talking like this. They say, you know, in those days we used to get bread for two rupees a, a loaf of bread. But, you know, in those days, and we keep hoping that we could go back to those old times. But God is a progressive God. He wants us to look forward. No matter what we've been through, our God is a progressive God. And He says, look forward, because I have greater things. God always performs His greatest miracles, not in our yesterdays, but always in our tomorrows. So sometimes we can dwell on the past glory and remain comfortable there and not move on. I've learned one thing, that the friendships and the intimacy of friendships that we have as children, you expect them to carry on. Sometimes they do, among one or two friends. But sometimes when you meet a childhood friend after years, they're not the same. But God says instead of looking back, look to new seasons, to new friends. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10. The Bible says this, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise or because of wisdom that you ask this. This is from the Amplified Version. So God says, don't keep looking back, but look forward. He says, because my greatest miracles, my greatest plan I have for you is not in your past, but it's in your future. Look forward with hope, because I have good things ahead of you. If we can keep the right perspective, friends, we can go far. You know, Job had the right perspective. When there was sudden change in his life, a stirring up of his nest, I'm sure he wouldn't have called it a, a stirring up. He would have said, this is a storm in my nest. He lost everything, but he never lost perspective. He said, even though God will slay me, yet I will trust him. And if whatever he had in the past, in chapter 1, you read in the last chapter of Job, he had double, including children. You say, no, I didn't read that. He had 10 children at the beginning and 10 at the end. You know why he never had 20 at the end? Because the other 10 had eternal life. And so, he still had 20 children. Double over all that he had. So stop looking at life and the problems that you've had with an old perspective. Say, Lord, if there's a stirring, then I know change is coming. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing to change the way I think. Because of these preconceived notions many times, we, we never ever get to go into areas that God, where God wants us to be. You know, I remember when my wife Sandy, when we had our children, we decided that when we got married, for the first six years, Sandy would not work. So that she could look after the children. When they went to regular school, she went back to work. And I remember one person coming to me and saying, you know something, pastor's wife should not work. 
Can you imagine somebody coming and telling you what to do with your wife? I said, who said? Don't tell me what I need to do with my wife. And so sometimes our old way of thinking can hinder us. The Pharisees, they were unwilling to change. They still had those old wineskins. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And what happens to all the old things? They pass away and all things become, everything becomes. So God is constantly changing, not as a person, but changing things in our life. Wanting us to see things differently. When people saw sinners, he saw potential saints. When people said outcasts, Jesus said, my friend. He thought so differently. Jesus was very unconventional. And probably today people would describe him as a non-conformist. He conformed, but not to the ways of man, but to the word of God. And because of that, people who are willing to hear his voice saw change in their life. Imagine this, winning a soul to Christ without a sermon being preached. Jesus walks up to Zacchaeus and says, come down. Yes, Lord, I'm having lunch at your place. <laughs> My place? One moment, Lord. He scoots down the road. Jesus is coming for lunch. Tells his wife, like you saw, you know, before the meeting, tidy up. Point number one in his house. Clean up everything. Jesus is coming. There's no record of Jesus ever telling this man that he was stealing money and taking bribes. And he was dishonest. But on his own, when he saw the life of Jesus, he comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I want to tell you something. I've been taking money where I should not have been taking. I want to return it, Lord. He says, not just what I took, but I want to return it with interest four times. I want to change, Lord. I want to change. Jesus said to people, this day salvation has come into your home. This day your miracle will come to you. When you say, Lord, begin with me. Change me. Change the way I think. I'd just like to read to you something humorous on, you know, the right perspective. God sees things so differently. And we need to align our thinking with his. We need to have his perspective. One day, a father of a very wealthy family took his son on a trip to the country with the firm purpose of showing his son how poor people live. They spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of what would be considered a very poor family. On their return from the trip, the father asked his son, How was the trip? It was good, dad, said the son. The father asked, did you see how the poor people live? Yes, said the son. I did. So tell me, what did you learn from the trip? Asked the father. The son answered, I saw that we have one dog and they had four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden and they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around us, to uh, our property to protect us. They have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, Thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. A matter of perspective. They could not catch that perspective when Jesus came. For them, if somebody hurt them, hurt them back. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Suddenly everyone was scratching their head. Where did this kind of interpretation come from? Other times, people said, carry it a mile. They'd say, sorry, 100 meters is all I can do. Jesus said, go two miles. When Jesus came, he turned their thinking on its head. It was too much for them to handle. 
Let me remind you, my friends, that God's dream for you is bigger than your own. It's bigger than your own. But we need to change, maybe in certain areas of our life. We must keep from going back to our old attitudes and ways of thinking. We need to change the way we think. We need to change our attitudes. We need to change our friends sometime. Maybe that wouldn't be out of order. We need to change our habits. We need to change ourselves before we try to change anybody else. Leo Tolstoy said this. He said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing himself. Jesus had said, you know, something to this effect, much, much before all these men could understand this. He said before, I point to a splinter in my brother's eye. I must take the log out of my own eye. It's difficult. It's easier to say, no, she's wrong. He's wrong. The whole system is wrong. But God teaches us, I've come to bring change in your life. Allow me to do it. Pay that price. As I said in the, in the earlier service, I said it's easier to die for Jesus. Because then we have no more problems. Once we die, we have no more problems. But when we live, that's the tough part. To be willing up to give our old positions of comfort and to move on in the plan that God has for us. That's more difficult. And that's why it's not healthy for us to constantly relive in the past. And that's why when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he closed the Red Sea behind them so that they would not be able to close that door so that they would not be able to go back. And so we must not ask, I wish for those days. No, God has better days ahead for you. God wants to abundantly bless you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to, to experience the fullness of his blessing. But we are the agents of those miracles. We have to be willing to pay that price. And I'll close with this, these quotations. Andy Warhol said this. He said, they say that time changes things, but you ha actually have to change yourself. Eric Hoffer said this. In times of change, learners inherit the earth. The learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Jesus came with a message. A few were willing to listen and their lives were transformed forever. And we must guard ourselves from the old wineskin where it's so easy to go back to our comfort zone and those places where it doesn't take much effort to live for Jesus. Today God is calling us to change in our lives. In whatever, in whatever area demands change, God says, do it now. I have great things in store ahead for you. May God give us the grace to be able to identify the areas of our life that we need to change. And I'll close with this, this small story. I have three closings, sometimes six closings. And each closing takes half an hour. Our son Joshua, we have two children. Our daughter Ruth is 20 years old. My friends was talking to me outside the school. And Joshua was running towards me. And he came up to us and my friend said, so how is Joshua studying? I looked at my son and I'm thinking, you know, he's now, he's thinking, here goes dad, he's going to grind me into the dust. Because that's what I would normally do. They said, oh, this guy, please pray for him. I don't know what to do with him. His mother spending hours teaching him. Nothing's going into his head. Please pray for him. Fast for him also if you can. I looked at my son. I didn't realize. You see, I was preaching, reading, praying, fasting, doing all of these things. But I don't think being very effective with my son. I looked at my son and he had pain in his eyes. He knew what I was going to do. And in that instant, God changed my heart. I looked at my son and I looked at my friend and I said to my friend, Joshua, he's a clever boy. Now I saw puzzlement on his face. 
<laughs> he must have thought, I hope dad hasn't started drinking. Me, a good boy, <laughs> I failed. And he did something. He put his arm around my, his little, put his arm around my waist. And he held me close. And I put my arm around him. It is a lesson from the Lord to me. That I wasn't thinking about my children's feelings. I was thinking more of how I could convey what I wanted to. and was not concerned about them at all. You know what happened? The next test, he got 20 marks. And the Hindi teacher called me. Now this time when she called, I said, oh, here goes. <laughs> Another round of complaining. That's the time you wish you had earplugs. Because it's the same thing repeated. He's not studying. He got these marks. He's playful. He's, he's not concentrating. So she said, you know, I would always call you to complain about your son. But I thought it's, it's only fair that I also call you to give you some encouragement. She said, I don't know what's happened to this boy. He got 20 in the last test. And I asked him to read from the Hindi lesson. He read it without a mistake. I thought he had memorized the page. So she said, I asked him to read a new lesson and he read it perfectly. The point is this. Change brought the miracle. Joseph changed. He could have easily said, injustice. I'm looking for justice. And when his brothers came, he could have shown them some good justice, I'm sure. But the Bible teaches, mercy triumphs over judgment. One man changed and it affected his generation. Jesus came and showed us the way and affected the world. Imagine if we walk in his footsteps and hear his voice. Say, Lord, begin with me. Take me, Lord. Change my life. Make me more like you. Make me more loving. Make me more kind. Lord, I don't want to be somebody big. If you take me there, I'll go. But my concern is that, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be patient and kind and loving and understanding. Many times, we want more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit than we do the fruit. And it's the fruit that pleases God. Say, may God give you the grace and may He give me the grace to change. For what? That we might be more like Jesus. Amen? That's the purpose of change. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.